This is the Boil Up's Top 5 Pilot Episode. Welcome along to the Top 5. Today we're looking at the top 5 things you need to know about Himalayan tar in New Zealand. One. At number 1, the Himalayan tar is basically a wild goat. Scientifically known as the Himitragus gemlichicus, Himalayan tar are from the Bovidae family, which are the family of cloven-hoofed ruminant mammals that include sheep, goats, domestic cattle and other mammals we don't see in New Zealand, such as bison, buffalo, antelopes and wildebeest. A member of this family is called a bovid. The genus is Hemitragus, derived from the Greek word hemi, meaning half, and tragus, meaning goat, as until recently it was believed that a tar was half antelope. However, phylogenic analysis has found the tar is in fact a goat. I won't go into detail explaining what the Himalayan tar looks like because by now you've probably seen it on the thumbnail to this podcast. The male tar is referred to as the bull. He's the big hairy one, on average weighing in at about 73kg but can grow up to 136kg. The smaller, more ordinary goat looking one is the female, referred to as the nanny, which normally average around 36kg. They can both grow horns, however the male horns are considerably longer, with a good specimen horn length measuring between 27 and 36 centimetres in length. Interestingly, the surface of the horns show annual growth in rings, developing between September and November each year, so you can judge the age of a tar by the rings on its horns. The social setup is also rather interesting. For much of the year they stay in three distinct groups. The nannies and the kids form one, the mature bulls over four years old form another group, and the teenage bulls of around two to three years all hang out together getting up to a bit of mischief. Between April and May, they all come together for what is what can be described as a rather violent swingers party, known as the rut. The mature bulls flare up their mane and expose their horns in an effort to staunch each other out, sometimes resulting in headbutting between the bulls. They also spend a considerable amount of time prancing around in front of the nannies, showing off their manes. Normally, all this results in one alpha bull getting a majority of the action from a group of nannies. Studies have shown that bulls with lighter colour manes get more action than the darker maned bulls. Then there's a slightly more promiscuous group of teenagers choosing to ignore the ancient rituals of headbutting and staunching each other out, instead preferring to roam from group to group of nannies that are unguarded by mature bulls, simply pouncing on any opportunity they get, and by opportunity I mean nanny goats. After all this, the gestation period is around 165 days, and a nanny will usually give birth to just one kid. Nannies go on to live longer than the bulls, with the average Himalayan tar lifespan being around 14 to 15 years. They live in the Southern Alps, at around 1,000 to 2,000 metres above sea level, occupying alpine grasslands and subalpine shrublands, where temperatures are extreme and regeneration of plant life is slow. The Himalayan tar diet consists of 50 to 75% grass species and 25% herb and wood species. They feed mostly on tall snow tussock and have a multi-chambered stomach which allows them to regurgitate food and re-chew it several times to obtain nutrients. This is normally done during their midday moi or rest before continuing to graze in the afternoon. At number 2, as its name suggests, the Himalayan tar is native to the Himalayas in southern Tibet, northern Pakistan, northern India and Nepal. It can also be found in South Africa and here in New Zealand where it has been introduced. 
the international Himalayan tar population is unknown, although it is presumed to be healthy. However, the International Union for Conservation of Nature has presumed that the population is slowly declining due to hunting and deforestation, giving the Himalayan tar a near-threatened rating, which is one step down from the best rating of least concern. Coming in at number three, tar were introduced for fun. Yes, that's right, tar were introduced purely for the sport of hunting. In 1904, the Duke of Bedford gifted the New Zealand government six tar from his personal herd in England. The Duke intended to send eight animals, but two escaped prior to shipment. Then the remaining, th- uh, the remaining six left England in April 1904, reaching Wellington by the end of May. During the voyage, one male escaped and was lost overboard. The remaining five were released in the Mount Cook area, followed by a gift of another eight from the Duke five years later. Three more tar were also released by the Government Tourist Department in the Lake Rotorua district, but didn't flourish in that environment. In 1911, another three were liberated at Waiho on the west coast. Tar are now hunted in New Zealand as a trophy animal because of their somewhat impressive horns and manes. And although tar meat has been described as tolerable, a tar meat market boomed in the 1970s. At number four, it turns out our native wildlife doesn't find the tar as fun as we do. More scientific research has been done on the impacts of Himalayan tar in New Zealand than in any other country in the world. Soon after their 1904 introduction, it quickly became apparent that tar were thriving in the New Zealand environment without any of their natural predators such as snow leopards. It also became clear that tar were having a detrimental effect on our native vegetation. So in 1930, the government started encouraging hunters to target tar. Unfortunately, hunting alone was proving ineffective. So way back in 1937, the tar was officially named a pest and the government conducted its first tar kill after the Department of Internal Affairs at the time described the amount of damage tar were inflicting on vegetation as an almost indescribable extent. They then proceeded to cull 2,765 tar, which is an amazing effort considering the lack of technology 80 years ago with the absence of things like helicopters. Government operations to control tar numbers continued every year after that as complete eradication of the tar at the time was impossible. The government culled around 25,000 tar between 1937 and the 1960s. In 1960, they attempted to cull tar with 1080. However, the results were disappointing, with tar numbers barely impacted, making the use of 1080 to control tar not financially viable. But in 1967, the government had a new toy, the helicopter, which proved exceptionally effective as a platform for shooting tar from. In combination to this, a commercial game meat industry was also established. This led to the destruction of over 39,000 tar between 19. 71 and 1982, reducing the New Zealand tar population by 90%. By 1982, tar meat was no longer economically viable, causing a cessation of the commercial hunting of tar, leading to a six-fold increase in tar numbers by the 1990s. In late 1980, the government once again studied the possibility of complete eradication of tar from New Zealand. The research revealed that it would cost $37.9 million to attempt the eradication. However, it was also discovered that total eradication from New Zealand would be virtually impossible because of the remote lifestyle of the tar. In short, 
the tar is here to stay. The report revealed it costs an inflationary adjusted $800 to kill each tar on the edges of breeding ranges, so endless control was going to be expensive. The government had to hatch a plan to ease the burden of the tar on the taxpayer. After an extensive scientific study of tar population versus the impact on the environment and lengthy discussions with hunting groups, the 1993 Himalayan Tar Control Plan was born. In the plan, it was agreed that tar numbers would have to stay below 10,000 in order for native flora to regenerate sufficiently. This allowed enough tar to make commercial hunting operations viable and recreational hunting of the tar attractive. So, in theory, the plan was for hunting groups to control the majority of the tar population for free, with docks stepping in from time to time if recreational hunting was struggling to keep the numbers under 10,000. The plan was ingenious. Unfortunately, recreational hunters overestimated the amount of tar they would kill, and the population of tar has been steadily increasing, while dock underfunding has meant they've been unable to step in and help hunters get the numbers back to the sustainable range. And finally at number 5, hunters are their protectors. Yes, recently you may have heard controversy over tar killing in the news. On one side, DOC, who have had their funding rejuvenated recently by the new government, want to step in and do the job they're required to do under the 1993 tar control plan, in an attempt to get tar numbers back to a sustainable amount before they spiral out of control. On the other side, there's a number of hunting tourism businesses making substantial profits from tar hunting. When tar are more plentiful, they're easier to find and the quicker these businesses can make a profit. DOC have not kept up with their side of the agreement because they simply haven't had the financial ability to do so and this has led to these businesses coming to rely so heavily on tar hunting profits which has put the government in a difficult situation. Unfortunately while the number of tar have increased the environment is still the exact same environment that was studied extensively to come up with the 1993 tar control plan which means the environment can still only sustain 10,000 tar. Although complete eradication of tar is impossible, fake news quickly spread across social media that the government was going to completely wipe out the Himalayan tar from New Zealand. People also jumped to conclusions that DOC would instantly take tar numbers straight back down to 10,000, with more fake news spreading about the number of tar that would be culled, while DOC and the conservation minister still hadn't even announced the cull number. In mid-September it was announced that DOC would cull 10,000 tar on conservation land over summer. However, the department did not consult hunting groups. After a public backlash, the government had a meeting with all of the main groups associated with tar, explaining their reasoning behind the 10,000 cull. The groups all agreed that 10,000 needed to be culled, and the hunting groups stepped up, promising to help with the target. So DOC would only have to cull 7,000. DOC also promised to target nannies, saving the bulls as an incentive for recreational hunters who promised to shoot nanny tar at the same time. The meeting was a great success, leaving both businesses and the taxpayer better off. That's your top five.